Good morning, church family. So good to be with you. That's an inspiring video, isn't it? Um, I was watching it, you know, again, just now, just minutes ago, and with you. I was struck about um, how I never imagined when I was a little kid that God would have me in the thick of this great adventure. It is the greatest adventure known to mankind. This adventure that he's called every follower of Jesus, you and I, every one of us here into. This adventure of following Jesus and becoming transformed by him and changed in such a way that God would lead me to my knees, that I would begin to have earnest conversation with him about the people that he has called me to, people of different cultures, people of different ethnicities, of different religions, that I would come to a place where I'm earnestly praying that they would experience what I've experienced, rescue, what I've experienced, forgiveness of all of my shame and my guilt and my sin, that I would experience the opportunity to be shaped by him and and make disciples, influence other people, that they might come to know him, and that I might be sent, I might be a person that would say yes to God, even though I so often hesitate when God says, hey, Ron, I need you to, and I have my whole list of excuses. But God would call me, and God would call us together to be a people that would say yes to him and join in this great adventure he has for us, first to be, and then to pray, and then to multiply, and then to go. And this mission, amazingly enough, it enfolds people all over this world, doesn't it? People of different languages and different backgrounds and socioeconomic classes and ethnicities. And God has chosen this great work. And this has always been part of his historic plan throughout the ages. We've been talking about that the last few weeks, how first God chose at the beginning to send a people to to choose a people, Israel, and for them not to be just enjoying the blessing of God, but for them to be a blessing to the nations so that the world would know the fame and the glory of God, that that's why he chose them, so they might step into this great calling and why he chose the church in the New Testament. It was always his intent for his people to be agents, to be witnesses of his good news, that he loves people of all kinds and calls them into relationship with himself. This adventure began with the call of Abraham, as we learned earlier in Genesis chapter 12, and all through the patriarch's life in Genesis 18 and Genesis 22 and 26 and 28. And yet when God called those people, it was with this express intent, just like he calls me today with this express intent that I might be a person who steps into this adventure, this plan he has to reach this entire globe for his name's sake. But how do I do that? How do I step into his plan? Many of the Old Testament passages point to the day when God would gather people from all over the world of every nation, and they would discover that they were loved by him and forgiven members of his eternal family. We see that that picture painted in 
specifically in the book of Isaiah, but also Zechariah and other Old Testament passages. And I love the ending of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah ends this way in the last chapter, chapter 66, saying this, For I know their works and their thoughts. This is starting verse 18, Isaiah 66. And the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. That's God's eternal plan, that God would reveal himself to people, and every person would be able to see how amazing he is, how stunning and great and majestic God is, that every person of every culture would discover that. And I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations to heart to Tarshish, Pole, and Lud, and to draw the bow, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Juvan. He's talking about Spain and Africa and Turkey and Greece there. And to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. I have this plan. It begins with my servant. That's, that's code in the book of Isaiah for Jesus. And that plan will include people that we can't imagine but it includes every person here who's chosen to follow Jesus. And the plan is that my neighbors and the people at my work and the people across the street and across this country and across this world would discover the glory of God. And he calls you, Marcia. He calls me into that adventure. It's crazy, isn't it? Me and Richard, he would call us into that great plan of his. Last week, we considered the New Testament accounts of the same story of God's grace through his son, Jesus, that he has this kingdom plan. Jesus says these words in Matthew 24, and this gospel of the kingdom, good news of the kingdom, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Not until everyone gets an opportunity You saw on the screen that there's still 7,000 unreached peoples and that a large portion of our world still do not know a believer in Jesus. And he has chosen us to be the instrument of his great plan. It staggers my mind. I, I don't understand it all. But I know this, that he has you and he has me in mind when he gives those promises, when he talks about his plan. He talks about our church being a central part of that plan. And that's crazy, isn't it? But look around yourself right now. There are people from all over the world in our fellowship. And God has this divine, amazing plan to use us to accomplish his great purposes so that his fame and his glory would be known throughout the world. It's remarkable what he's doing. I stand back sometimes, I just, I can't help but grin and think about This great work that he's in the middle of. Here is God's good plan that you and I would communicate a message. It's a message of repentance, Scripture tells us. That is, I'm going my own way. I'm stuck in my own selfish desires. I'm going my own direction. And God turns me around. He spins me in a 180. And I come humbly before him. And I tell him, I want to pursue you. I want to be part of your great adventure, not my own piddly one. I, I want to seek you with my whole heart. I want to be yours. And when I 
make that move of repentance, God does something inside of me. Scripture says that when I seek him, he'll be found. When I come to him for forgiveness of my sin, my shame, my guilt, the things that I've done to disobey him, to dishonor him, that he will forgive me, not as my spouse forgives me or my kids forgive me, but he will wipe the slate clean and I am clean before him. I'm a new man. You're a new woman, a new person before him for his praise and glory. And then we get to participate in this adventure that spreads like a contagion, like a wildfire, and it has spread in the last 2,000 years. And it happens person to person as I am called into this process of multiplying, of being a tool in his hand. Just as the Father sent the Son, John chapter 20, he sends us. We are to be, to pray, to multiply, and to go. Of course, you know the story a little bit. And the, many of you, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, tells us how that happens. It happens by the power, the infusion of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit breaks loose in, in people. And all of a sudden, they're communicating in an effective way to people around them of what God has done in their life, this good news of the gospel. Jesus promised it. We see in Acts 1.8 that Jesus indicates that the Spirit would empower his people to become witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth that this would spread because of the Spirit's work inside of us. And it would begin with what he does inside of me, inside of you. Say, the power of the gospel is that he changes you and he changes me from what I once was into the person that can shine the glory of God to my neighbor, Ian, who lives next to me, who's yet to follow him. He can use me, and he can use you for his glory. But first, he changes us. He gets at that B part. And then he leads me into being a man, leads you into being a person, a young person, a woman, to follow him in prayer and to seek and to call out his name and his power in the life of other people. And then he uses us, one person or another, passing it on to multiply. It's challenging, isn't it, to think about what God has for us? I was reading through the book of Acts when I was on vacation, and I was thinking about how God uses people and how God calls out people and how many people in the book of Acts were courageous enough to go. Sometimes I'm not. Can I just confess that? When God is calling me out to do something, I'll be dragging my heels. Lord, I'm really comfortable right here doing what I'm doing. You're calling me to do something new and stretching and hard. And he's always about moving me to the next place for his glory and calling me out to say yes to him, to agree to what his plan is, his good plan for my life. In the book of Acts, consistently it starts with this, that a person encounters the living Lord Jesus Christ who has died for their sin, and they come to him. For many of you here in the room, you can identify a time where that's happened, where you've actually said yes to God. You've prayed out to him and sought his forgiveness because of what he did on the cross for you, and you became a new child. You became something new. 
Some of you have come and you're still wrestling with that. I want to invite you to keep wrestling and asking questions and, and seeking. Because when you say yes to God initially, he will change you. And then he keeps on changing you, doesn't you? For those of you who have walked with the Lord for a season of your life, you know that he is not done with you yet. Even some of you great saints who have walked with him for a lot of years, decades perhaps, he is still at this process of changing you into his image. And he's doing that because he still wants to shine his glory throughout the whole world so that all people would know. God is still at that great work. And then he indwells those followers of Jesus and prompts us to pray. As you look through the book of Acts, that's what he did consistently. Think about what happened in the upper room and then the gathering in Acts 2. And then again in Acts 4, which we're going to read in a little bit. And then with Cornelius and Peter in Acts 10. And in response to people praying out, calling out to God, the Holy Spirit used ordinary changed people to do the extraordinary, the supernatural. Don't you hunger for that sometimes? That, that you would know that you, your life has extraordinary purpose. It does. It has supernatural, not natural, but supernatural purpose for the kingdom. That's what God wants of you and what he's calling you toward. And then these new believers were grounded in their faith in Jesus as we look to the book of Acts. And one of the instrumental things when I was examining scripture this last week was how often the teaching of the word was central to that. People would dive into God's word on their own. They're, they're not just expecting other people to spoon feed them, right? Hopefully you spend time in God's word outside of church and are challenged by it and nurtured by it, encouraged by it. And as people were in God's word, God was calling them out and maturing them. And in response, they would start influencing other people. And other people would be called out then and they would go. This morning, I have hope. I have actually great hope that some of you would get over your missions phobia. You know what I'm talking about? You know, when God calls you and you're like, oh, well, really, that's for the hyper-spiritual people. That's for the all-stars, the Christian all-stars. But for me and for Ray, I don't know about it. I, I think that he just wants me here and comfortable. And I think, I'll, I think I'll just stay in my spot, in my lane. But that's actually not the calling of God because there are, as you saw in the video, there are millions of people today who have yet to discover the freedom and the forgiveness and the joy of the Lord. And we are called, men and women, to be part of that great adventure. The church today, you and I, are called to be part of this great adventure of God, to communicate Christ clearly in our neighborhoods and schools and places of work, to get our, over our fears of what God might do with our life and to jump into his calling. But it's challenging, isn't it? Every time I get fired up about the mission of God, every time I get excited about what he's doing in my life, then I'm reminded of all my failures and my inadequacies, the times I've let him down in the past, the times that I've fallen short or, or taken small risks for God and then found the pain of that involvement. And I can lose focus and faith. So I want you to think deeper 
with me about these components that you saw in the video. These components that are part of Scripture for us. And I want you to look at Acts chapter 4 this morning. If you have your Bible, please turn it open to Acts chapter 4. And I want to look at a snapshot of what happens, verses 13 through 31, to the end of the chapter. Acts 4, you've got your Bibles in front of you, hopefully, on your phone, or you brought the old school one like this, or you can grab one in front of you. Here's the context. Um, right after the Spirit of God gets unleashed in Acts chapter 2, people start coming to faith in Him, and God starts doing remarkable things so that other people of other cultures and so the world might become to discover who Jesus was. And He starts using these regular guys, Peter and John, to communicate it, and they come across a person who is broken. Their body is physically broken, and God heals them. And it creates all kinds of controversy. Because the leaders in Jerusalem, the elders and the chief priests, they didn't want people to know that Jesus was alive and still at work in people's life and the good news could free people. They, they wanted to control people and they were wrestling with this and wrestling with what God was doing. And then we pick up the text here in verse 13 of chapter 4. Now when they, that is the chief priests and the elders, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Isn't that a good word? It means that you don't have to be a PhD in theology to be used by God. You know that, right? They were uneducated. They hadn't gone through all the hoops that the chief priests and the elders had. And they were just common guys. Many of you have far more education than them here's one of the things that astonishes me. Every time I have the privilege to go train leaders and a church in different countries in the developing world, I'm astonished not just that they're uneducated, but most of them often have less than a fourth grade education. I'm astonished by their passion for Jesus and what they're accomplishing for the kingdom. Ordinary people, God uses every one of you. And one of the great lies of the evil one, men and women, is that you can't do it. That God can't do something extraordinary through you. You know what? He can. He loves to do that. He loves to use common people like us to do the extraordinary thing, to be part of the mission that he has, the unstoppable mission that he has for the ages. That's always been part of God's plan and will continue. He wants to use you this week, just like he used Peter and John. And they were astonished that these people were being used by God, John and Peter. And they, that is the chief priests and the elders, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Can I just say, wouldn't it be sweet if you were at work this week and someone would recognize that you had been with Jesus? Wouldn't it be cool if, like, your neighbor, you're in conversation with them and, and they recognize the fragrance of Christ on you? Hopefully, that's one of the reasons why you came this morning, that you would draw near to the Lord and we together as a church would encourage each other to draw each other closer to Christ so that this week people would recognize our Savior on us. They, they would understand that we've been with him that we know him. 
So, Acts 4, they, they recognized that these guys had been with Christ. Verse 14, But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. The work of God shut them up. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, that is, the man who was healed and Peter and John, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We can't get around it. Something obviously has happened by God. And we can't deny it. Verse 17, But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let's warn them to speak no more to anyone in in his name. They have this plan that they could stop the plan of God, which is crazy when you think about it, right? You can't stop the hand of God, but sometimes in our own planning, our own selfish desires, we think that we can stop what God is doing in our lives. And don't you love that that part where they call them to no longer speak in the name because they knew that the name of Jesus was powerful. When we speak that out in conversation, when we communicate to people clearly about Jesus, it changes lives. So they called them, that is Peter and John, and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. <laughs> Great response. You judge whether we should listen to God or listen to yourself. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. We can't stop it. Wouldn't that be a great posture to have this week? You know what? I I just can't stop myself from speaking about what I've experienced. I've experienced, you've experienced, if you are following Jesus, his forgiveness. You've experienced that he loves you, regardless of anything that you've done in your past. You've experienced God's great affection for you. You've experienced that you're part of his plan. You've experienced that he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You know this. Wouldn't it be great to be a person and you just couldn't shut up about it? That it had to say that great word to people around you? So, after they get called and charged, they say, we can't stop. And when they had further threatened them, then they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. He was really old. He was over 40. (laughs) And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them, And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God. So their response, their immediate response is to pray. To pray out and worship to God. And when they had heard it, they lifted up their voices to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Why did people resist the call of God? His plan, his eternal plan. 
For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Father, everyone was against you. Everyone, every person of influence is seen was against your plan to do whatever your hand and your plan was predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Isn't that a powerful prayer? Just let us speak boldly. Think about all the things that were on your prayer calendar this week. All the things you were praying for, for your illnesses and the illnesses of others. Those are totally legitimate to pray for, by the way. For the hurts, the pains of others, for the things that you wanted that you haven't got yet. All the desires of your hearts, you're praying out to God. But did you pray that you would be bold in how you communicate faith? How you communicate Jesus to people who don't know him, who are opposed to him? Because that's what they're praying here. It's a great model, isn't it? While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders were performed throughout the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, when you've read this text, some of you have read this text before in Acts 4, what you love, then the thing that stands out is actually the place shook, right? Like, that would be cool to be praying, gathered with others, and all of a sudden you feel an earthquake, and you feel the power of God, and you think, wow, that's really cool. But the greatest answer wasn't that the place shook. It was that God gave them boldness. He gave them the Holy Spirit so they would continue to be the people that God had called them out to be. That was the greatest answer of prayer here because they weren't necessarily bold. They were just common people that God was using, just like you and me. And the great movement of the Holy Spirit is when he uses ordinary people like ourselves. And he uses us first to be, that is to become like him. We're taught in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. From the very beginning, God has had a plan for you, men and women. It's to change you. It's to change you to become like Jesus. Conformed to the image of his son. God, who knew us before we were born, has a perfect plan for our lives and is changing us into the likeness of Jesus. It's a preordained work. It's a non-negotiable work. It's something that God is in the middle of doing. And don't you pray that for your spouse and for your kids? God, make them more like Jesus in this moment. And hopefully your kids and your spouse, your family and your friends are praying that out in your life too. Conform them into the image of Jesus. Not so that they would treat you nicer or life would be easier for you, but so that the world might know who Jesus is. That's how my neighbor discovers who Christ is. It isn't through something erudite, I say. It's by me becoming like Christ and them noticing that I'm filled with the joy of the Lord, that, that God's word matters to me and I'm being changed by it. He calls us first 
to be. He's making us to be like Christ. And that activity doesn't come naturally for us. It's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in us. But when it happens, it's really noticeable. So I had the privilege of being on vacation. And uh, thank you, by the way, for releasing me for a couple weeks. And we took this road trip. We went to Yellowstone, which was great. Went out camping. And then we we went to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Don't know if you've ever been there, but it's really beautiful. And we have some friends that we hadn't seen in over 30 years. And we gave them a call, and they said, oh, come on over. Spend the night with us. And we hung out with them. And, and then their family came over. We knew some other people came over. And I bumped into a friend of mine named Matt that I hadn't seen for over 30 years. But I'd heard about him. I'd kept up with what was going on in his life. And Matt, um, several years ago, was in a major accident. And for six years, and, and, he, and he got major brain injury because of the accident. And for six years, he couldn't really do anything in his life. He was totally stripped down. He couldn't do all the things. He was super capable and athletic. He couldn't do any of that stuff. He was just laid low. And um, so we're having this conversation about that because now it's several years later and he's recovered some of his capacity. He can now communicate. He couldn't communicate for six years. Think about what his wife went through for that season and his family went through, his kids. And um, he was sharing with me. He goes, Ron, you know, in that season of my life, God was shaping me. He stripped everything that I knew, all my competencies away from me. And he was doing something powerful in my life that I would never have imagined. I just love him so much for that. I was thinking, man, I don't know if my response would be the same. I would be frustrated, you know, and I, I know he went through those stages of struggle. He said, you know, Ron, the only thing really I could do in that whole season was allow God to shape me and to change me, to become more like him. And to pray. And sometimes I couldn't even shape the words of my prayer life. I couldn't even think clearly enough. Can you imagine being in that spot, being humbled like that? And my friend Matt, as he was communicating what God was doing in his life and how powerful his prayer life was, I was just totally humbled about this dear brother and what God had taken him through. And now on the other side of this, the effect he's having on his neighbors and his friends in the kingdom I mean, that's his passion. It's what he lives for today to make disciples because of what God has taken him through, that, that he actually became a person who was shaped into the likeness of Christ. And then he started to pray. And that's the example we see in the book of Acts, throughout the book of Acts, that God's people turned to prayer, the movement of the good news through us and who we're becoming, how God is shaping us, leads us, to this essential launching point of the gospel in our lives is to become people of prayer. The first disciples, they prayed out to God and God unleashed the Holy Spirit so that they might be effective in their ministry. And prayer has driven every movement of the gospel for the past 2,000 years, the entire church history. It moves on prayer. That's why we have to be a people of prayer. And I don't know how you've done this week. What's going on in your prayer life? But let me encourage you strongly to enter into a a time of prayer this week for the people around you that they might see 
the fame and the glory of God. They might understand the gospel because that's how it goes forward in our life. No one comes to faith in Jesus unless they're drawn there by him. Can I repeat that again? No one comes to faith unless they're drawn there by him. None of your great arguments or the impressive things that you do for your neighbor will draw them to Jesus. The Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus. So that's what we need to ask for. We need to pray that out faithfully and passionately for him. I can't save my neighbor. But I know this, Jesus can. I can't save the world, even though God has called me into this great adventure, but I know the Lord can. And that he actually, he is in the middle of this process of doing this. And I can rest confidently in that, not stress over it or beat myself up over it. But I know that if I enter into prayer and seek God's best, that he's going to use me in this. And then God calls me to multiply. At the very beginning of the world Christian movement, God used an environment to start to nurture believers and for them to start passing it off. Discipleship happens person to person. You to another person, maturing them and encouraging them in the faith. And God moved people to himself and they discovered new life through common people who had the mark of Jesus and God's word was speaking to them. And when these new believers were nurtured in the hothouse of the local church, it was using the word of God to guide and mature and inspire them. So here's what God does throughout the book of Acts. He, he starts using people to speak out the word of God in each other's lives. Um, that's why actually, Hopefully, you're building a discipline to spend time in God's Word this week. It's not just for your own edification or your own profit, for your own growth, though that's part of it. It's so that you might speak the Word of God into other people's lives and encourage them with Scripture because that's how we disciple people. That's how we encourage them in their faith. These are God's words to us, to nurture us, to inspire us, to encourage us. And they're always more powerful than your own words. Sometimes we get it backwards, right? We feel like the best thing I can, very, I can do to a friend is to give them my advice. It's not. It's to give them the counsel of God to encourage them with Scripture. And that's how multiplication happens in the church as we together are rooted together and encourage each other. My backyard, I've got some redwood trees. Anybody have redwood trees in their yard? So just a few of you, and you know... Um, I would encourage you, if you are thinking about planting redwood trees in your yard, you might want to rethink about it. It's, it's always great to have them in your neighbor's yard, but when they're in your yard, it's really difficult. And what makes it difficult? If you ever want to plant other plants, the redwood trees have this invasive root system, right? And it gets, it's really difficult to, to work around. And, and the, And the great thing about redwood trees, of course, is that root system connects to other redwood trees. And it makes it really strong. That's why they can grow so big. And and they can grow for such long periods of time because they're rooted together. That's God's plan, of course, for the church, right? For us to grow, to be nurtured together. 
The word of God cements our root system together, intertwines us together, and together we sharpen each other and we multiply. There's an interesting thing in the, in the system of redwood trees. Not only do they bear those cones that have seeds in them, but also their root system pops up little shooters all over the place. And, and they are often this great picture, I think, of how God wants to work and multiply through us, that he sends up little shooters amongst us that we grow. And as we are rooted in Christ and in his word, we multiply together. Wherever God has placed us, he has given us this great mission to multiply, not to hold it into ourselves, but to multiply and then to go, which is the big one, of course, being willing to say yes to God. Even when he's nudging or yanking us in places where we don't want to go. Whenever I read through the book of Acts, I'm humbled that all the times people are taken places, Peter, Stephen, Philip, Lydia, Barnabas, Silas, unnamed believers throughout the Roman Empire who said yes to God. And I'm humbled because often I drag my feet when God calls me out. What I want to be is a man who says yes. I've got a confession. You know those Mexico trips we take? Um, I'm going actually this coming week down there. And um, can I just say, I I don't like to go. Every year I think, oh man, one more time I'm going to spend a week with those baños, you know, with the smell of it and, you know, live in the dust and do that again. The first time I went, I was in seventh grade. And for some crazy reason, God has kept yanking me down there, kept pulling me not just to Mexico, but to other places in the developing world where I don't really want to go. And every time I think, can I just say no? Can I, can I just escape this? But here's what I know. Every time I say yes to God, every time I enter in and say yes to what he has for me, it's so good. It's so sweet. Even though I've got all these reservations and I want to drag my feet and not do what he calls me to do, when I say yes, then his spirit uses me in ways that I don't expect that aren't on my map. When I say yes to God, I'm part of the great adventure that he has to reach the nations for his own name's sake. The greatest things that have ever happened in my life have happened when I've said yes. The worst things that have ever happened in my life, the things that I've missed out on totally, are when I said no. Not doing it. Not going. So why don't I always say yes? Right? That's the question. Why don't we always say yes? My prayer this summer is that from my lips and from yours and from this dear church, there will be many yeses when God says, go to us. That we'll say, oh yeah, I want to do that. I want to be part of this great adventure God has for me. Let me pray for you if I might. Father, thank you for calling us into this great adventure. I pray for those who might have come this morning who have yet to say yes to us, to you for the very first time. 
you'd give them the courage to come before you for forgiveness to be made whole and made different, be changed by you, be healed and whole and new. I pray for us who seek to follow you that we would say yes. We would want to dive into this great adventure knowing that every time we say yes, that you use us in ways that are unexpected and that are eternal, that are right. Lord, bless us this summer with a lot of yeses. Christ's name, all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.